Welcome to the Linwood Covenant Church Podcast, presented by Pastors Dave Osterkamp, Rachel Hart, and Chris Kelly. Join us each week as we dive into the timeless wisdom of Scripture, exploring Jesus' message of love, hope, and faith that unites us all. So sit back, relax, and let's get into this week's service. All right, I hope you have your thinking caps on this morning. We have uh, a fairly long passage we're going to read, a fairly complicated passage. My mission that I have chosen to accept is to uh, try to explain this to you in, uh, in, in, to the, in 20 to 25 minutes. <laughs> so we're going to dive in. It's on page 797 of your blue Bibles. It would be a good morning to have uh, your Bibles out um, because we're going to go through the whole chapter of Matthew 16. We've been talking since September about what it means to follow Christ, to be a follower. And so uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at different people that chose to follow Christ and what we can learn from their journey. So Pastor Chris talked to us about Barabbas, or, or Barnabas, not Barabbas, Barnabas, two mistakes, start, start counting them up. Um, we talked about Priscilla, and then last week we talked about Peter, and we started to follow Peter's journey, which we're going to follow for a few weeks. So Peter, we saw him as a leader, as one who was a, not was willing to take action and risk and got out of the boat and went uh, to walk on the water with Jesus. And, and, uh, and we looked at that story last week. And this week we're looking at this chapter, Matthew 16, page 797. So please follow along as we read this chapter together. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evenings come, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, You have little faith. Why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth 
will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. All right, amen. All right. We haven't gathered for Sunday school for a few weeks now, but we are going to gather today. I'm excited to talk about some things, especially that last sentence. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We'll, we'll talk about that and some other things, but let's dive into Matthew 16. World peace, we've been thinking about that a lot. We see all of these awful wars, the awful things happening in Israel and, and to the Israelis and all these things. And we think about, ah, oh, world peace. God, we want there to be peace on earth. I know what could create peace on earth. I think there could be two things. One is the return of Christ and the world made right, which is going to happen and we look forward to that happening, and we pray for that to happen. The other is an alien attack. That could create world peace. Now, I don't, we're not, are aliens real or not? That's a whole other question, but, um, but let's just play make-believe for a moment. If, if we knew there was an alien attack coming, suddenly we would all get along, right? Uh, suddenly all the countries that are at odds with each other, we would, we would quit uh, killing and being after each other, and we would become friends, There's an ancient saying, it actually goes way, way back. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. When I have an enemy and you have an enemy and we have a common enemy, then then we have a common mission and we, we we suddenly get along and become friends. We see this happen all the time. We, we, see, uh, we see it happening in, in, in silly ways, like in, you know, in, in sports. They'll say, well, you know, my, my, my favorite team is the, is the Packers and whoever plays the Bears. So that's a, that's a common saying, uh, or for us as well, whoever, my favorite team is the Vikings and whoever plays the Packers, right? So the, we have these common, these common enemies. You see it in much more um, in, you know, striking ways. In, in World War II, the Soviet Union and the USA were on the same side um, because we had a common enemy, Nazi Germany. In Matthew 16, we see this play out. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were not friends. They were not friendly. They were two distinct um, sects of, of Judaism. What's a, what's a good analogy for today? Well, maybe it would be Protestants and Catholics um, but now, in this Matthew 16, they are friends because they have a common enemy, which is Jesus. They suddenly are at peace, and they're together, and they come together 
to face Jesus because now they have a common enemy. And they come to test Jesus. And it's the same Greek word that's used in Matthew 16 in the first verse as the word that's used when Jesus encounters Satan in the desert. They come to test him. They come to to trick him. They come to out him. And Jesus gets after them. He says to them, Pharisees and Sadducees, you who are enemies and now friends after me, you're so good at reading the weather and understanding what the signs in the sky tell you about how the day is going to play out, but you have seen me do all kinds of miracles and you've seen me do all kinds of teaching and you have missed it and you continue to miss it. He said, the only sign you're going to be given from here on out is the sign of Jonah. Well, what does that mean? That's kind of confusing, right? It is, it is to me initially. Well, these are Jewish religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they know the story of Jonah. They know it really, really well. Many of us know it as well. Jonah, three days in the belly of, of a sea creature, and then he's given new life. He's given resurrection on a beach, And he goes to a really wicked city, Nineveh, to preach repentance and that there is a God who is eager to forgive. And what do the Ninevites do? They seek repentance and they seek forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, you're going to see that story played out. I am going to die and be buried and be resurrected. That's the last sign you're going to receive. You're going to see it. It's going to happen during Passover in front of everybody And you're so good at reading the signs of the weather. Notice this sign and notice what's playing out. Of course, for many of them, they are not going to notice it. And Jesus leaves them and he walks away from them. Then they go across the lake. And the disciples forgot to take bread. (laughs) The disciples. They forgot to take bread. So you can imagine now they're going across the Sea of Galilee and their stomachs are starting to churn and they don't have any bread and they're looking at each other. And then Jesus says, relaying this last conversation, hey guys, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You can see them starting to like, Elbow each other. Yeah, see, he knows we don't have any bread. Now we're going to be in trouble. I I knew you were supposed to bring bread. You can just picture Bartholomew saying, I told Thomas to bring the bread, but he doubted that we needed it, you know. And and then you have... Then you have Andrew saying, yeah, well, Judas, he probably just ate it, you know. And so they're, 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 going, at, they're going at each other, and, and, they're, 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 and then Jesus is just frustrated. He's like, come on, guys. You know me. He, he, he's frustrated because you've been walking with me. You know that I don't need bread, physical bread, to create a meal. You know that if we're hungry and we're in a pinch, like, we're going to be okay. We've been hungry in a pinch on a mountain with 5,000 people, and we're okay. We're in a boat with 12 or 13 of us. It's going to be it's going to be okay. And I can imagine he's also frustrated because Jesus being a God of mercy, grace and compassion probably has rarely flipped out on them because they forgot something like bread. Like like maybe a a human father or leader might do or just having a bad day and you just get after somebody. There's part of it's like you know who I am and you still aren't understanding my speech and, and my intentions and what I mean. And so he, he, he gives them a little speech about very clear. I'm disappointed in this. And then Matthew records, as I feel is kind of humorously in verse 12, 
Then they understood that he was not telling them that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they get to Caesarea Philippi. They go from the, the north, uh, northwest part of the Sea of Galilee, and they, they row their boat to the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee. They leave a very Jewish area, and they end up in a very Gentile area. In the Gentile area, there's lots of different gods that are worshipped. And Jesus, in this area, asked this question, Fellas, boys, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they replied in verse 14, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he takes this in, and then he says, Okay, guys, but what about you guys? You've been watching me. You've been walking with me. You've been following me. Who do you say I am? Peter, as we've come to know him, is the spokesman for the group, the leader, the one who is willing to say the answer. You've all been in class, as I have, where a teacher asks a question where you know there's one right answer. The pressure's immense, right? You're like, as a teacher, I try not to ask those questions because you're like, oh, like, okay, it's either all in or all out. Like, this isn't a, what do you think about this question? It's like, oh, man, there's just one answer. And you feel that sweat. You're like, I got to get this right. And, uh, and, and, and Peter's in that situation, but he, he, he gives his answer. It seems uh, quite bold. Again, we don't know the tone. Uh, the son of the living God. If he's, like, if he's like, I think this is who you are. Or if he's like, I imagine it as quite, being quite certain, Jesus, I, I know you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's how I imagine he said it. Jesus, we've seen you. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Does Peter get it right or wrong? He gets it right. Jesus like gives him applause. Yeah, Peter, blessed are you, he says. Simon, son of Jonah, for if this was not revealed, this was for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. God has shown you who I am, and you are right. The book of Mark starts his gospel almost echoing what Peter says here. Here's how the book of Mark starts in Mark 1:1. 1, 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's how Mark starts. And then he lays out the story. Let me show you. Let me prove to you that this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Almost word for word for what Peter said. What word is missing? Living. Peter adds the word living. It's speculated that maybe he added the word living because he's in an area, a Gentile area, where there's so much idol worship, where they're worshiping things that are not living. That he says, you are the son of the living God, not made out of stone or rock. Peter gets it right, and Jesus is excited. Blessed are you. And now listen to this, and we're going to, this is, this is a confusing statement. But what, is, what does he mean here? He says this in verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wherever, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. He starts off congratulating Peter. And really, there's a wordplay going on here in verse 18. What he's really saying is, you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. 
This is a complimentary statement. The word Peter means rock. You are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Well, what do keys do? We all have keys. They had keys in the ancient world. Keys give you access to things, right? If you have a car key, it gives you access to the car. If you have a key to the church, it gives you access to the church. Jesus is telling Peter that I'm giving you access to the keys of heaven, and you are going to be the one that reveals the good news of who God is. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they shut off access. They made it harder and harder and harder for people to see who God is, and Jesus kept getting after them about it. He says, Peter, you're going to open the gates, and you're going to open them wide, If you have a pen, you can write this down. We'll talk about this in Sunday school too. But if you read the book of Acts, and and you should read the book of Acts, I recommend it. Peter is the one that opens up the gates. First in Acts chapter 2, he gives access to life in Christ to the Jews on Pentecost by preaching a powerful sermon on who Jesus actually is, the son of the living God. And then in Acts chapter 8, Peter gives access to life in Christ, to the Samaritans. They were enemies of the Jewish people. But Peter brings them in as friends, and he shares the the gospel with the Samaritans. And in Acts 8, um, Peter comes after Philip is there, and he gives access to the kingdom to the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter opens up and gives access to the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. There's suddenly Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles, enemies who have become friends, peace coming uh, to the earth. And Peter is the one that has the keys and he reveals this. And then after Acts chapter 10, you start to see Peter take a back seat. He starts to fade into the background and Paul starts to take the lead because Peter's mission has largely been accomplished. Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles. Jesus lets them know that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. So, We pause here in Matthew 16 because this is the first question for all of us to wrestle with. If Jesus looked at you in a boat on Linwood Lake or Martin Lake or Coon Lake and said, who do you say that I am? What is your answer? What is your answer? Jesus poses that to everybody. Am I the son of the living God, the Messiah, the one you are following? Or am I not? There's really two options to that. And so it's something you have to wrestle with. You can kind of put that question off, but Jesus says, oh, put it off at your own peril. At some point, you're going to be in front of God, and you don't know when that day is, and you have to answer that question. Who am I? Am I your God or am I not? And so today I invite you to put a stake in the ground and to say, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. I will follow you. I am going to be your disciple. I need you to offer forgiveness and mercy and grace to me. And Jesus, when he sees that in Peter, as he sees that in each of you, when you say yes to that, blessed are you. Yes, God has revealed that to you. Come and follow me. Then the story takes a, a really stark turn. In 1621, after this congratulating of Peter and this celebration, it says in 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, 
Pharisees, Sadducees, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This appears to be quite bad news. And Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Now just imagine that. Jesus, Peter has just declared, you are the son of the living God. And now Peter is going to take him aside. Now we don't know the, all this timeline, but Matthew puts this right together. Of like Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And then Peter says, and let me tell you something, you got this wrong. He, he actually takes him aside and he rebukes him. Now, how, how could Peter have the gall to do that? Well, some of us may be just how Peter's made up. Some speculate that Peter just got a lot of power from Jesus. You are a rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And Peter said, okay, I'm with you. Let's, let's do this together. Um, whatever it is, it's, it's not good. Like, boo, Peter, stop. Like, this is kind of a cringeworthy moment where he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. In the, in the Jewish culture, the rabbi-student relationship, there was, there was a power dynamic. And, and as I read this week, like, you just don't do that. Like, a, a student to his rabbi, like, there's just no way this is okay. But Peter's just, his mind is blowing that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and you say that you're right, and then you're going to suffer and die? That just doesn't fit in Peter's box, and he, he rebukes Jesus. The way to world peace is a willingness to love our enemies, and Jesus is about to do that. The way to shalom and peace on earth is a willingness to suffer for one another instead of a desire to dominate one another. That's why it's, it's, it's not going to happen really until Jesus gets back, but we get to give glimpses of it by how we, Dave, and you live your life because Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you a, a whole different, more beautiful way to live. It's a, it's a willingness to love our enemies and to suffer for one another instead of dominating one another. We will continue to see that Peter gets it wrong. It's so easy to get it wrong. We get it wrong all the time. Jesus, look at this verse. I want you to look at this verse. Jesus turned to Peter in verse 23. Strong words. Get behind me, Satan. Again, I would love to hear how Jesus delivered those words, but he's not mincing around. He's not happy. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I think this verse should give all people who have decided to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior pause. This should make us shake in our boots and our knees knock a little bit. Because we are human and we are most likely to, to have these same words said to us. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. It's so easy to follow Jesus and then to not prioritize the concerns of God, but instead prioritize human concerns. And then to assume that Jesus is going to prioritize our concerns instead of remembering that we are supposed to put to death our concerns and prioritize Christ's concerns. We talked about this in September with my dog Kedzie, uh, who passed away about a year ago. She was a great lab, but she would always want to be with me, but she wanted to be ahead of me. So she was always going and trying to look back and always like, I want to follow you, but I really want you to go where I want to go. And we always would play this game where then I would go this way and suddenly she was off on her own. 
And, and that's what's happened to Peter. Peter said, oh, we're together in this, good, let's go, God, and, and I know where we're going. And Jesus says, not so fast. You have human concerns in mind. I have the things of, of God in mind. Get behind me, Satan. And then, in, then Jesus says these words that closes this chapter. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What does that mean? Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. I think a very succinct picture of the Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a part of our communion liturgy. That's where it comes from. You'll hear that every time we take communion. But this is what it means to take up your cross. I have been crucified. The way that Dave wants to live, I have put that to death. And now, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, then I am going to live for the way Jesus wants this to go. Peter went one for two in this chapter. Our goal is to not go 0 for two or one for two, but two for two, and it's really, really tough. One for two, we can often get. I want to follow Jesus, but I really want to follow Jesus if Jesus goes the way I want things to go. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not how it goes. Like, if you want to follow me, then you're following me, and we have to go two for two. It's so, so tough. We do this all the time. It's so easy to do. One time, some of my friends wanted to treat myself and Anita, and, and they said, oh, here, we're going to treat you. And, and we went to a, a, a gospel quartet concert, which was nice. It was a great gesture. But if you really know me, like, I don't really do gospel quartet. I, I, I love the words and the message, but i just not much of a singer. It's not really like, hey, let's have a fun night tonight. Let's go, let's go to a gospel quartet. That's, that's, not, that's not really what I do. And, 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 but that's, that's what they love to do. Now, if, you, if you're with me, I will bring you to do what I love to do. You can ask, I haven't talked to Pastor Chris or Pastor Rachel about this, but you can, you can talk to them. If you, go, if you go to a conference with Dave and it's in the spring, summer, or fall, where are you going to end up? You're going to end up at a baseball game, right? Can you guys, do you guys know a trip where we haven't gone to a baseball game? Why? Because I love baseball and everybody should love baseball. Like, why would you not love baseball? It's, it's beautiful out, you're outside, it's a really fascinating game, and it's just the best. And so, so I'll take you to a baseball game. And, and we do this with Jesus. Peter says, well, I'm with you, but I know. I'm going to show you. Like, in Peter's way is the same way as the, Fadduce the, Fadduce the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's, it's a very human way. We're going to win. We're going to go crush some people. You're the Messiah. I'm with you. I've seen what you can do. Let's go. We got some enemies to dominate. Romans, boom. Gentiles, boom. Samaritans, boom. Pharisees and Sadducees, yeah, I don't like them either. Boom. Let's, let's go. Let's go. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You have the first part right. You got the second part completely wrong. You're one for two. We will see Peter continue to get it wrong. And we will see Peter slowly grow. That's the good news for us. But Jesus expects us to go two for two. Eventually, we'll see Peter get it right. I want to read the last verse I'm going to read today from Acts chapter 5. We're going to reference this in a couple weeks. Acts 5 is when Peter's about to fade into the background. We're going to see a remarkably different Peter. 
We'll keep this in mind as we go through the next few weeks. Acts 5, verses 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish ruling council, rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They had just gotten physically flogged in Acts 40, Acts 5.40. They've gotten embarrassed, shamed, physically beat up. Peter wasn't mad about it. Peter wasn't ready, like, let's go get some friends and go get them. Peter was like, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way that changes the world. This is the way that shows people who God really is, and I got to be a part of it. Yes! A whole different, a whole different Peter. God would want us to follow that same way, to not prioritize human concerns, which are often prosperity, safety, security, all these things that we want are very human to prioritize. And Jesus says, well, actually, if you're following me, prosperity, eh, not so much usually, safety, security, priority of your nation, Ah, they kind of fall to the bottom of the list. Jesus says, don't have human concerns be your main priority. Have the concerns of God be your main priority. Love your enemies. Be willing to suffer instead of being willing to dominate. We may ask God to give us the grace, the courage, and the faith. Because to follow Jesus, it actually takes an immense amount of grace courage, and faith. May we have that so that we can go where Jesus is seeking to lead us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Uh, It makes us tremble sometimes. We ask for your forgiveness when we've prioritized human concerns over the concerns of God. It's so easy to do. We so easily think we know where you're going, but we're often going the opposite way. We thank you for the example of Peter, um, even in this chapter, the good and the bad, but to your patience with him that on this rock you did build your church. So God, no matter where we are, how old we are, how long we've been following you, maybe for some today is the first day, maybe for some today is the thousandth and three thousand, ten thousandth day. God, help us to continue to go two for two, that we might trust you as Lord and follow you where you're leading. Give us the grace, the courage, the faith to do so. God, we pray and we ask for the ability to trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's message inspired you to dig deeper into your own relationship with Christ and apply his words to your world. If you like today's message, feel free to check out Linwood Covenant's other podcasts, including past sermons. If you're looking for something to binge beginning to end, check out First Word, our first podcast series that guides listeners through the book of Mark. You can find all of these wherever podcasts are available. You're also welcome to join us for our full worship service, which streams on YouTube every Sunday morning at 9.30 Central Time. We'll see you next week. And remember, come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ.